Chapter Twenty Four of the Conquest of Canaan by Booth Tarkington. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Four Martin Pike Keeps an Engagement. An hour later, Martin Pike, looking forth from the mansion, saw a man open the gate and, passing between the unemotional deer, rapidly approach the house. He was a thin young fellow, very well dressed in dark gray, his hair prematurely somewhat silvered, his face prematurely somewhat lined, and his hat covered a scar such as might have been caused by a blow from a blunt instrument in the nature of a poker. He did not reach the door, nor was there necessity for him to ring, for before he had set foot on the lowest step the judge had hastened to meet him not however with any fulsomely hospitable intent his hand and arm were raised to execute one of his olympian gestures of the kind which had obliterated the young man upon a certain bygone morning loudon looked up calmly at the big figure towering above him it won't do judge he said that was all but there was a significance in his manner and a certainty in his voice which caused the uplifted hand to drop limply while the look of apprehension which of late had grown more and more to be martin pike's habitual expression deepened into something close upon mortal anxiety have you any business to set foot upon my property he demanded yes answered joe that's why i came what business have you got with me enough to satisfy you i think but there's one thing i don't want to do joe glanced at the open door and that is to talk about it here for your own sake and because i think miss tabor should be present i called to ask you to come to her house at eight o'clock to-night you did martin pike spoke angrily but not in the bull bass of yore and he kept his voice down glancing about him nervously as though he feared that his wife or mamie might hear my accounts with her estate are closed he said harshly if she wants anything let her come here joe shook his head no you must be there at eight o'clock the judge's collar got the best of his uneasiness you're a pretty one to come ordering me around he broke out you slanderer do you suppose i haven't heard how you're going about traducing me undermining my character in this community spreading scandals that i'm the real owner of beaver beach it can easily be proved judge joe interrupted quietly though you're wrong i haven't been telling people i haven't needed to even if i'd wished once a thing like that gets out you can't stop it ever that isn't all to my knowledge you own other property worse than the beach i know that you own half of the worst bins in the town profitable investments too you bought them very gradually and craftily only showing the deeds to those in charge as you did to mike sheehan and not recording them sheehan's betrayal of you gave me the key i know most of the poor creatures who are your tenants too you see and that gave me an advantage because they have some confidence in me my investigations have been almost as quiet and careful as your purchases you damn blackmailer the judge bent upon him a fierce inquiring scrutiny in which oddly enough there was a kind of haggard hopefulness and out of such stories he sneered you're going to try and make political capital against the tocsin are you no said joe 
it was necessary in the interests of my client for me to know pretty thoroughly just what property you own and i think i do these pieces i've mentioned are about all you have not mortgaged you couldn't do that without exposure and you've kept a controlling interest in the toxin clear too for the sake of its influence i suppose now do you want to hear any more or will you agree to meet me at miss tabor's this evening whatever the look of hopefulness had signified it fled from pike's face during this speech but he asked with some show of contempt do you think it likely very well said joe if you want me to speak here and he came a little closer to him you bought a big block of granger gas for roger tabor he began in a low voice before his death you sold everything he had except the old house put it all into cash for him and bought that stock you signed the check as his attorney in fact and it came back to you through washington national where norbert flitcroft handled it he has a good memory and when he told me what he knew i had him do some tracing did a little myself also judge pike i must tell you that you stand in danger of the law you were the custodian of that stock for roger tabor it was transferred in blank though i think you meant it to be legal at that time and that was merely for convenience in case roger had wished you to sell it for him but just after his death you found yourself saddled with distillery stock which was going bad on your hands other speculations of yours were failing at the same time you had to have money you filed your report as administrator crediting miss tabor with your own stock which you knew was going to the wall and transferred hers to yourself then you sold it because you needed ready money you used her fortune to save yourself but you were horribly afraid no matter how rotten your transactions had been you had always kept inside the law and now that you had gone outside of it you were frightened you didn't dare come flat out to miss tabor with the statement that her fortune had gone it had been in your charge all the time and things might look ugly so you put it off perhaps from day to day you didn't dare tell her until you were forced to and to avoid the confession you sent her the income which was rightfully hers that was your great weakness joe had spoken with great rapidity though keeping his voice low and he lowered it again as he continued judge pike what chance have you to be believed in court when you swear that you sent her twenty thousand dollars out of the goodness of your heart you think she believed you it was the very proof to her that you had robbed her for she knew you you want to hear more now you think this is a good place for it you wish me to go over the details of each step i've taken against you to land you at the bar where this poor fellow your paper is hounding stands to-day the judge essayed to answer and could not he lifted his hand uncertainly and dropped it while the thick dew gathered on his temples inarticulate sounds came from between his teeth you will come said joe martin pike bent his head dazedly and at that the other turned quickly from him and went away without looking back ariel was in the studio half an hour later when joe was announced by the smiling mr warden laddie was with her though upon the point of taking his leave 
and Joe marked, with a sinking heart, that the young minister's cheeks were flushed and his eyes very bright. "'It was a magnificent thing you did, Mr. Loudon,' he said, offering his hand heartily. "'I saw it, and it was even finer in one way than it was plucky. It somehow straightened things out with such perfect good nature. It made those people feel that what they were doing was ridiculous.' "'So it was,' said Joe. "'Few under the circumstances could have acted as if they thought so. "'And I hope you'll let me call upon you, Mr. Loudon. "'I hope you will,' he answered, "'and then, when the minister had departed, "'stood looking after him with sad eyes, "'in which there dwelt obscure meditations. "'Ladue's word of farewell had covered a deep look at Ariel, "'which was not to be mistaken by Joseph Loudon, for anything other than what it was. The clergyman's secret was an open one, and Joe saw that he was as frank and manly in love as in all other things. He's a good fellow, he said at last, sighing, a good man. Ariel agreed, and he said more to me than he did to you. Yes, I think it probable, Joe smiled sorrowfully. About you, I mean. He had time to fear that her look admitted confusion before she proceeded. He said he had never seen anything so fine as your coming down those steps. Ah, he was right, but it was harder for me to watch you, I think, than for you to do it, Joe. I was so horribly afraid in the crowd between us. If we could have got near you, but we couldn't. We, she faltered, and pressed her hand close upon her eyes. We? said joe slowly you mean you and mr ladew yes he was there but i mean her voice ran into a little laugh with a beatific quaver in it i mean colonel flitcroft and mr bradbury and mr buckaloo too we were hemmed in together when mr ladew found us and old joe when that cowardly rush started toward you those three I've heard wonderful things in Paris and Naples, cabmen quarreling and disappointed beggars, but never anything like them today. You mean they were profane? Oh, magnificently, and with such inventiveness. All three begged my pardon afterwards. I didn't grant it. I blessed them. Did they beg Mr. Ladue's pardon? Oh, Joe, she reproached him. He isn't a prig and he's had to fight some things that you of all men ought to understand he's only been here a few months but he told me that judge pike has been against him from the start it seems that mr ladew is too liberal in his views and he told me that if it were not for judge pike's losing influence in the church on account of the beaver beach story the judge would probably have been able to force him to resign but now he will stay he wishes to stay doesn't he very much i think and joe she continued thoughtfully i want you to do something for me i want you to go to church with me next sunday you hear mr ladew yes i wouldn't ask except for that very well he consented with averted eyes i'll go her face was radiant with the smile she gave him it will make me very happy she said he bent his head and fumbled over some papers he had taken from his pocket Will you listen to these memoranda? We have a great deal to go over before eight o'clock. Judge Pike stood for a long while where Joe had left him, staring out at the street, apparently. Really, he saw nothing, undoubtedly an image of blurring foliage, 
cast iron cement and turf with sunshine smeared over all flickered upon the retinas of his eyes but the brain did not accept the picture from the optic nerve martin pike was busy with other visions joe loudon had followed him back to his hidden deeds and had read them aloud to him as gabriel would read them on judgment day perhaps this was the judgment day pike had taken charge of roger tabor's affairs because the commissions as agent were not too inconsiderable to be neglected to make the task simpler he had sold as time went on the various properties of the estate gradually converting all of them into cash then the opportunity offering he bought a stock which paid excellent dividends had it transferred in blank because if it should prove to roger's advantage to sell it his agent could do so without any formal delays between paris and canaan at least that is what the judge had told himself at the time though it may be that some lurking whisperer in his soul had hinted that it might be well to preserve the great amount of cash in hand and roger's stock was practically that then came the evil days laboriously he had built up a name for conservatism which most of the town accepted but secretly he had always been a gambler wall street his goal to adventure there as one of the great single-eyed cyclopean man-eaters his fond ambition and he had conceived the distillery trust as a means to attain it but the structure tumbled about his ears other edifices of his crumbled at the same time he found himself beset his solvency endangered and there was the taper stock quite as good as gold roger had just died and it was enough to save him save that was a strange way to be remembering it to-day when fate grinned at him out of a dreadful mask contorted like the face of norbert flitcroft martin pike knew himself for a fool what chance had he though he destroyed the check a thousand times over to escape the records by which the coil of modern trade duplicates and quadruplicates each slip of scribbled paper what chance had he against the memories of men would the man of whom he had bought forget that the check was signed by roger's agent had the bank clerk forgotten thrice fool martin pike to dream that in a town like canaan norbert or any of his kind could touch an order for so great a sum and forget it but martin pike had not dreamed that had dreamed nothing when failure confronted him his mind refused to consider anything but his vital need at the time and he had supplied that need and now he grew busy with the future he saw first the civil suit for restitution pressed with the ferocity and cunning of one who intended to satisfy a grudge of years then perhaps a criminal prosecution but he would fight it did they think that such a man was to be overthrown by a breath of air by a girl a bank clerk and a shyster lawyer they would find their case difficult to prove in court he did not believe they could prove it they would be discredited for the attempt upon him and he would win clear these beaver beach scandals would die of inertia presently there would be a lucky trick in wheat and martin pike would be martin pike once more 
reinstated dictator of church politics business all those things which were the breath of his life restored he would show this pitiful pack what manner of man they hounded norbert flitcroft the judge put his big hand up to his eyes and rubbed them curious mechanisms the eyes that deer in line with the vision not a zebra a zebra after all these years and yet curious indeed the eyes a zebra who ever heard of a deer with stripes the big hand rose from the eyes and ran through the hair which had been always worn rather long it would seem strange to have it cut very short did they use clippers perhaps he started suddenly and realized that his next-door neighbor had passed along the sidewalk with head averted pretending not to see him a few weeks ago the man would not have missed the chance of looking in to bow with proper deference too did he know he could not know this it must be the beaver beach scandal it must be it could not be this not yet but it might be how many knew loudon norbert ariel who else and again the deer took on the strange zebra look the judge walked slowly down to the gate spoke to the man he had employed in sam warden's place a scotchman who had begun to refresh the lawn with a garden hose bowed appleby in response to the salutation of the elder loudon who was passing bound homeward from the factory and returned to the house with thoughtful steps in the hall he encountered his wife stopped to speak with her upon various household matters then entered the library which was his workroom he locked the door tried it and shook the handle after satisfying himself of its security he pulled down the window shades carefully and lighting a gas drop lamp upon his desk began to fumble with various documents which he took from a small safe nearby but his hands were not steady he dropped the papers scattering them over the floor and had great difficulty in picking them up he perspired heavily whatever he touched became damp and he continually mopped his forehead with his sleeve after a time he gave up the attempt to sort the packets of papers sank into the chair despairingly leaving most of them in disorder a light tap sounded on the door martin it's supper-time with a great effort he made shift to answer yes i know you and mamie go ahead i'm too busy to-night i don't want anything a moment before he had been a pitiful figure face distraught hands incoherent the whole body incoordinate but if eyes might have rested upon him as he answered his wife they would have seen a strange thing he sat apparently steady and collected his expression cool his body quiet poised exactly to the quality of his reply for the same strange reason that a young girl smiles archly and coquettes to a telephone but martin you oughtn't to work so hard you'll break down no fear of that he replied cheerfully you can leave something on the sideboard for me after another fluttering remonstrance she went away and the room was silent again 
His arms rested upon the desk, and his head slowly sank between his elbows. When he lifted it again, the clock on the mantelpiece had tinkled once. It was half-past seven. He took a sheet of notepaper from a box before him and began to write. But when he had finished the words, My dear wife and Mamie, his fingers shook so violently that he could go no further. He placed his left hand over the back of his right to steady it but found the device unavailing. The pen left mere zigzags on the page, and he dropped it. He opened a lower drawer of the desk, and took out of it a pistol, rose, went to the door, tried it once more, and again was satisfied of his seclusion. Then he took the weapon in both hands, the handle against his fingers, one thumb against the trigger, and shaking with nausea lifted it to the level of his eyes his will betrayed him he could not contact his thumb upon the trigger and with a convulsive shiver he dropped the revolver upon the desk he locked the door of the room behind him crept down the stairs and out of the front door he walked shamblingly when he reached the street keeping close to the fences as he went on now and then touching the pickets with his hands like a feeble old man he had always been prompt it was one of the things of which he had been proud in all his life he had never failed to keep a business engagement precisely upon the appointed time and the courthouse bell clanged eight when sam warden opened the door for his old employer to-night the two young people looked up gravely from the script-laden table before them as Martin Pike came into the strong lamplight out of the dimness of the hall, where only a taper burned. He shambled a few limp steps into the room and came to a halt. Big as he was, his clothes hung upon him loosely, like coverlets upon a collapsed bed, and he seemed but a distorted image of himself, as if, save for the dull and reddened eyes, he had been made of yellowish wax and had been left too long in the sun abject hopeless his attitude a confession of ruin and shame he stood before his judges in such wretchedness that in comparison the figure of happy fear facing the courtroom through his darkest hour was one to be ended well he said brokenly what are you going to do joe louton looked at him with great intentness for several moments then he rose and came forward sit down judge he said it's all right don't worry end of chapter twenty four